Coming up this hour, what should we expect for the Sunday after Easter? And then, what's the problem with the prosperity gospel? And later, five leadership lessons from that slap heard around the world. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Friday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. Aubrey, it's Friday. The weekend is about us. This week has flown by. Can you believe it, how fast it's gone? I feel like it's Monday. Finally, it's some nice weather. Crazy. Finally, some nice weather coming our way. It is about way. time, because it started out, it was like still winter when the week started. We have earned it. So looking forward to this week. But Aubrey... It's uh, if you think back to last uh, weekend, it was Easter last weekend. And so everybody gets geared up. You know, you call it the Super Bowl. Right. There's more people at your church. You're doing this and that. Uh, That then leads to the Sunday after Easter. Ah, the Sunday after Easter where no one goes to church in America. Well, that's what people don't understand. (laughs) Every pastor is like, hey, I had all these people here on Easter and surely some of them are going to come back. What you realize is everybody goes to church on Easter. So those people who aren't regular attenders, they all use their week up last week every year. People probably don't know this. One of the smaller size Sundays of the year at any church is the Sunday after Easter, which, if we're honest, is an enormous letdown. It is an enormous letdown. And it's almost comical because you like. You sort of don't really want to put that much energy into a message. Maybe that's when you bring your guest pastor in to preach. Like, it's a little, it is so, it's crazy. People check Easter off their boxes. And I would say, Brian, even regular church attenders check Easter off their boxes. And so if they're going to take off a Sunday in the month, it is definitely the Sunday after Easter. There was one Easter, I think I ended up just circling, I was preaching and I ended up just circling everybody up. Like, oh, come on so guys, funny. just just gather around because it felt so sparse. It was embarrassing. There is, it's just a matter of math. It's what you just said. If people don't go to church every week anymore yeah, and they go to church, remember Stetzer said, we talked about this last month, people he said once, once a month, a month. but yep. let's, let's pretend that people go every other week Okay, and everybody went last week. Yep. What does that tell you for this week? Yeah, we're not seeing anybody for a couple weeks it's, anyway. Uh, it is interesting. I do remember being earlier on in my years as the, in the ministry, especially when we first started our church, being like, Easter is going to be the accelerant. Uh, Easter is going to be this. Like, we're going to yeah. get Easter. We got all these people. And everybody, right? Everybody had yeah. more people in their church last week. Yeah. Uh, and, but we're like, hey, we're going to get this. And then the week after, you're like, oh, I should close the doors. <laughs> Like if because you start to feel like we did not take advantage of yes, Easter, right? That's what I was just thinking. You kind of feel like did we fail did I mess our up? Easter service so that nobody wants to come back? Especially because at Easter, a lot of churches do big push on like, hey, be sure to come back next week. We got this this new program, yes, this thing going, yes. this blah blah blah, and. Uh, and uh, yeah, it doesn't even that doesn't work. So it is a funny. Ever maybe church should just like not happen. On Sunday, you're just you looking for weeks send off. Send people like to the movies and dinner or something. It's a great Breakfast. message. Yeah. Uh, so, a uh, couple messages out of this. One, I would say maybe in next year we should be that church that that sends postcards for the week after Easter. I love that idea, Brian. So everyone else is sending all these Facebook yeah. messages, everything yeah. for Easter. Maybe we go, hey, they're gonna come Easter. We're gonna we're gonna, gonna advertise for a random. I feel like you just like that's a movement you could start. Uh, right there it there. is. Yep. There it is. Uh, Post Easter. Yeah. Uh, but but on a serious level, it highlights 
I would say, a, a, uh, a danger for us pastors, right? And that is we ride the high highs mm. that are often determined by how many people mm. are in your church, and we ride the low lows of often determined by how many people mm. are not in wow. your church. So yeah. last week, I told you earlier this week, I vented a little bit about uh, the social media scorecard of all the mega yeah. churches. I had... Uh, this many baptisms and right. this many, I saw, a, I, I may have mentioned this earlier in the week. I saw a pastor who talked about their 46,000 people who attended and their <laughs> 950 first time decisions. Stop. And I'm sitting there going, Stop. I, I, I made multiple campuses. That's like, a whole, that. that's like a state. I am oh. like, Hey, we had like, like people in the chairs last week. Right. And so, yeah, we had a full house. It is the up and the down of this. Mm. Uh, but I do think what people <laughs> may not understand is that danger of the of everything being determined by how yeah, many people are there. Because yeah. we do kind of puff out our chests at Easter time going, hey, look at all these look at people. Our reach. Look at our influence. And yeah. uh, so that's the real danger in this, isn't it? It's yeah. the I'm a good pastor. If a lot of people are here, I'm a bad pastor if they're not. I also think like connected to that, Brian, is because we do put so much emphasis, and you and I joke about this, but there's some truth to it. Like it's our Super Bowl Sunday mm-hmm. for pastors. There's that letdown anyway. Like anytime you like climb a mountain, right? There's like letdown when you start to make your way down. Like, oh, you're exhausted. Oh, you've put so much effort and prayer and intentionality into that service. So then, yeah, to... To already be kind of in a let down emotional place and then on top of that to ride the wave of low attendance on Sunday morning following Easter, that's not a good place to be. Yeah. And I think that's where we all have to step back, those of us in church leadership and go, okay, this is the Lord's church or it's nobody's church. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like God builds this church. God knows who's coming and who isn't. It doesn't mean we don't reach out and invite. It doesn't mean we don't make those efforts, but we can't put our identity and our hope and our sense of success in that that number, whether it's Easter Sunday or not Easter yeah. Sunday, like in the number of attendance, uh, that can be a marker of certain things. Has our church gone after people? Well, are people inviting? Are we invitational? Like mm-hmm. though that, could, but it can't be a marker of your own like esteem and value yeah. before Lord or like in your job. Yeah. So what becomes the answer? We've touched on this topic before. Uh, I pretend that I'm coming out of seminary or I'm about mm-hmm. to take a pastor job. You are the wise sage. You're oh, like, oh, yes. I've done this for many years. Yes, uh, and I go, I'm just trying to grow a really big church. I'm trying to get lots of people there. Uh, and w- what would you say to me so that I have some longevity and that I don't kind of run this race? What would you tell a new person uh, who's just getting into the ministry? Yeah. Um, I feel like I've been around those folks and you, you don't, you never want to dampen someone's fervor, Mm -hmm. right. Or their excitement. But I do think there needs to be a conversation about the long game being more important than the sprint. Right. Mm. So, um, I would probably as the sage guru that I am, I I think (laughs) I would just, I'd probably talk to that person about, um, the reality of leadership in churches and how it, even if like your biggest goal is to get like thousands of people at your church, ultimately like your why needs to be something else. Your mm-hmm. why needs to be, you know, for the glory of God and you keeping your integrity before God. And if the message of the gospel is going forward each and every Sunday, just even to one person, that's a win, yeah, it you know? Be. And, and somehow that, Somehow I just think the whole scorecard has to change. Well, also, again, you don't want to lose people's enthusiasm, but like the goal can't be thousands. The goal has to be like, have I loved 
served, spread the gospel to at least one person and seen God multiply that, that's the win. Yeah. Yeah. I can what remember. What would you say, Brian? Yeah. I, I I think you're right. I would ask the person, why are you doing this? Like yeah. what, what is actually a success for you? And we all know the answers, but I, I would then push me if it were, if I was talking to myself, I would say, what part, what would make you feel like a failure as a pastor? Like what mm. would cause you? To, and if you're like, nobody comes, well, you're like, there might be your issue because mm-hmm. there might be seasons where nobody comes. Yeah. There might be yeah. downturns that you can't control. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the Easter post Easter is always uh, a tough one. It's always a tough yeah. one. And uh, we'll see that this week. So I think the takeaway here is go to church this weekend. It'll make your pastor feel yeah, happy. If for no other reason, encourage your pastor's <laughs> self-esteem. <laughs> and if not their church, come to my church. <laughs> All right. The prosperity gospel. Heard of it. Oh, well, I would, I'm going to ask you to define it. Why don't you define the prosperity gospel for us? And not even in a good or bad way, just kind of what do we mean when we say prosperity gospel? And then we're going to talk about the dangers of it. Yeah, um, I, I'm trying to put it in a nutshell. I guess it would be that, you, I mean, in one sense, you're you're trusting God to meet your needs. But the where it goes, I, I guess I'm reflecting on it good and bad now, Brian, what you asked me not to do. But where it can go is that... If you give X, Y, Z or you do X, Y, Z or you, um, yeah, give or do X, Y, Z, then God will um, repay you in a multiplying way. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if I give one hundred dollars to a certain ministry, prosperity gospel says God will then give me three hundred dollars. That's a version of it. I I think there are name it and claim it. Yeah, there there are certainly spectrum, but it's certainly the idea that God um a sign of God's favor and God's blessing is financial repayment yep. or multiplication. Yep, And it's a major theological teaching, I would say, a bedrock of many churches in America. Uh, I saw a stat recently. I believe it was there's over 50 mega churches, which they defined as over 5,000 people that are tried and true prosperity gospel churches in okay. America. Wow. So. They're around. They're around. Let me read from this Nine Marks article, kind of some more background to what we mean by the prosperity gospel. They wrote, it's fair to say that the prosperity gospel strongly emphasizes receiving, maintaining, and even maximizing the good gifts of God, health, wealth, favor, power. And yet there's there's relatively little emphasis on God himself. Now, we want to be fair. No prosperity gospel preacher that we know of would nakedly state that people ought to love God gift more than they love God. And if you ask them, they would surely deny that this is what they teach. But we're talking about emphasis and priority. When you see a church or ministry that talks about God's gift, gifts, but spends relatively little time talking about God's character or our need to respond in repentance and faith, then you can be pretty sure you're dealing with the prosperity gospel. So, uh, let's uh, let's start with the e. What I would call an easier question: Why is this dangerous? What's the danger of this? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it's because f- there's a couple things that come to mind for the Christian. Ultimately, we're called to worship God for God Himself, uh, no matter what. Like Job, no matter what God gives, no matter what God takes away. Uh, we're called to praise the name of the Lord. Mm. And what I think can happen is um, just like other emotional roller coaster waves that we ride, if we're riding a wave that said God is only good when he's providing financially or when I'm seeing, you know, the multiplication of my finances, that can be pretty destructive to like a, a steady long term faith because we all know there are seasons of life that, um, 
our finances go up, yep. our finances go down. I would say now is one of those painful seasons of life financially because gas prices and other prices are so high. We're feeling that. Has God changed? No. God is still good. God is still on the throne. I would say the second, this. I don't know if I'm on number two or number three, but the next thing that that can lead to is sort of a comparison game. You see someone be very successful, drive mm. the right car, um, have lots of material wealth, and you can begin to think, and I do believe this is a lie from the pit of hell, you can begin to think God loves that person more mm-hmm. than me, or that person has earned God's favor more than me, but that's not a biblical message. The biblical message is that our God will supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches, and that's that's everyone. And so I don't know why some people have more than other people have. That's a totally different conversation, yep. but that does not mean God loves that person more than loves someone who's hurting or struggling. In fact, if we're going to talk about Jesus, yep. I mean, Jesus tend to focus on the poorest of the poor, the most vulnerable, way more than the rich people. And on, uh, honestly called the richest to like walk away from their That's riches. Right. That's right. Uh, Nine Marks goes on to say, uh, in the prosperity gospel, however, God is spoken of primarily as a means to an end. There's the problem. It treats a relationship with God uh, like marrying someone for their money. You don't really love them. You just love them for what they can give mm. you. But coming to Jesus as a way to get something else isn't worship. It's idolatry of the thing you're trying to get. Mm. If you're in a church and you're wondering whether or not uh, they are influenced by the prosperity gospel, simply pay attention to the sermons, the Bible study during group discussions, and the prayer meetings during the week. If your pastor or Sunday school teacher or favorite author spends a small amount of time talking about what God is like, but a lot of time talking about what God can give you, hmm. then you're probably face-to-face with the prosperity gospel. And Aubrey, I guess... Uh, I would here. Let me give some pushback. People might be hearing God's the giver of good gifts. Right. God gives. Yeah. God blesses. Yes. God. Uh, the Bible talks about it all yeah. the time. Shouldn't we be trying to access those good yeah. gifts? Uh, what What are your thoughts about that? You know, it is interesting, Brian, because I I have a friend who is I would call her prosperity gospel adjacent. Okay. And. And she has said to me before, we've had this conversation. She has said to me before, she thinks it is only very privileged people who are who are trying very hard to tear down the prosperity gospel because they don't know what it's like to need to depend on God for your every need. Mm. And so she was like, if I'm in, uh, let's say, Africa, I don't have enough food day in and day out for my kids. I am begging for God to provide. And when he does, I'm rejoicing in that. And and it's the she says it's the privilege of us that would look at that and say that's the prosperity gospel. Mm. I think that's an extreme example because what we're talking about is where it gets corrupted and twisted by, you know, you kind of think of the stereotypical like a TV preacher who's saying, send in your donations and God will bless you mm-hmm. tenfold. Like that's wicked. That's the stuff that, or we've, we feel like God wants to give us an airplane for our ministry. So send in your yes. donations and God's going to meet your needs again. That's wicked. That's evil. So there is a difference, right? Brian, between like God does supply your needs and God is the prophet. What does Philippians say? Like my God shall supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches. He owns Scripture talks about the thousand cattle on a hill. Like God is an abundant God. God is an open-handed God, not a closed-handed God. But 
God still is sovereign and does what God wants to do. And so sometimes God maybe pulls back provision because he wants you to lean in more to him and work harder and do some other things. But it's not because his love for you has Mm -hmm, changed. It's not mm -hmm. because your security in Christ has changed. And I think that's where we have to be really careful. Like, Praise God for his abundance. Cry out to him for provision. He talks about how we don't need to worry about anything because he'll meet our needs, our daily bread, the food that we need. Um, but we just it, it just gets twisted when God is sort of like a ATM machine for mm. us. If I push the right buttons, he's going to give me. That's not true worship. That's that's something different. Yeah. That's a, that's not who God is. Yeah, I think that's well put because uh, Nine Marks, this article gets at it. If God exists, if his love for me uh, is tra- is only shown by the things that he gives me, yeah. monetarily, possessions, or whatever else, it's a really slippery slope that's not biblical. As you said, we read the Bible, the early church, they were not swimming in money. Nope. They were not swimming in health and wealth right. and prosperity. right. Uh, but I don't think that was a sign that God had turned his back right. on them. And right. so, uh, friends out there, I'd be really careful about the people you listen to on uh, your TV preachers, your internet preachers, your radio preachers. A lot of them, not all at all, especially yeah. on our radio station, not. Uh, but a lot of times people in that venue really peddle this. Yeah. But it's a dangerous thing. I think calling it idolatry, and it's the same way like like they talked about in this article, if I told Carrie, my wife, uh, I love you because of what you give me, because of what you'll do for me. That's not going to last very long. No, Carrie's not going to be happy with that. She yeah. will not. And so the prosperity gospel can be subtle. Mm-hmm. I like your phrase, prosperity gospel adjacent. That was something. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it can be very dangerous, and I would encourage you to keep your eyes open. All right, Aubrey, I was reading over Christianity Today, and they're talking about a new book from uh, Michael Horton. I don't know if you know Michael Horton. Do you remember the, one of the earliest Christian podcasts that was out there? That was called, oh, no, I'm going to forget it. It was very reformed. Yeah, I'm gonna his look it name up. is so familiar to me. He's a Westminster Seminary guy, I think, but I can't, I can't actually remember. I'm going to look it up, but it was one of the first ones. Okay. Uh, that was out there called the White Horse Inn. That's what it was. Okay. Everybody everybody went through a stage of listening to the White Horse Inn. It was four scholarly guys. They'd be uh, sitting around just talking theology, loving right? The, loving life, loving White themselves. Horse Inn is named after, that's where Luther and others, they would meet to talk. And so the White Horse Inn, it, I only Fancy. bring that up. It's like the first Christian podcast I remember oh, coming okay, out. Okay, uh, The White Horse Inn. But uh, Michael Orton has a new book out called Recovering Our Sanity, How the Fear of God Conquers the Fear That Divides Us. And it mm. got me thinking about that phrase, the fear of God, right? Like the Old Testament says the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. Uh, But I think people struggle with that phrase. Definitely. What is it? What are we talking about when we talk about the fear of the Lord? Like you got to have a fear Mm -hmm. of God, all this kind of stuff, because we don't like to think that way, right? Like we don't want to be like, I want my kids to fear me, you know, so help people understand your what's your understanding of that biblical phrase, the fear of the Lord or the fear of God? Yeah, my understanding has been and I I actually want to talk about this understanding. My understanding has always been that fear is like an old way of talking simply about worship, Hmm. right, or submission to God, like that we we fear God, not in the like, oh, there's this scary dude coming after us he's going to smite us but we we fear god like we are in awe of god we recognize he's bigger than us more powerful than us and therefore we bow down to him out of submission that said brian as i've thought back on this phrase what i don't want to do is um 
reduce it or mm. minimize it or soften it to make it a little bit better and easier and more uh, palatable. palatable. Yeah. Because, I mean, there are times in Scripture where God smites people. You know, there are times where I wonder, are we being so critical of the church that we have no fear of God? And like, we got to be a little careful. Mm. Now, all throughout the New Testament, well, even in the Old Testament, when God's messengers so show up, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So I, I know we don't have to live in fear that God's going to kill us or destroy us because of Jesus's work on the cross, right? We can trust in that. That said, I still think there needs to be a reverence. Perhaps mm. that's the word I'm looking for, for God's holiness, God's power. And like, we don't want to be people who mess around with God. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, I, it's it's the wrestling match because we don't like to talk about fear. But I think the word reverence, the word awe is a great way to look yeah. at it. Right. Like, um, but I do think you, you we've talked about this. Uh, I know I've talked about this at my church. I think one of the dangers in this kind of comfortable nature that we live in Western society in America, one of the things that happens is we can really shrink our view of God. Yeah, that's and true. And God Brian. becomes like, a, you know, a cosmic pest dispenser who is out there to just give me what I want right. when I want it. Right. And that's a really dangerous thing because uh, I think our view of ourselves is proportional to our view of God. And so therefore, when my view of God shrinks, my view of myself rises and I become what's ultimate and God is there to serve me. I think part of the fear of the Lord is this reverence and awe that says, uh, woe is me, I'm a sinner. Yeah. Like it's it's Isaiah. Yeah. It's Isaiah going into the throne room of being called into the throne room of God going, uh, I'm a sinner. Yeah. I'm a dead man. Yes. It's Peter when he realizes it's Jesus, mm. who Jesus is. He says, get away from me. I'm a sinner. Mm. They were saying that, like, get away from me, not because they were like, oh, just get away, because I'm going to die. They're faced with God's uh, and Jesus's power and holiness yes. and authority. Yeah, that's good. Brian. I cannot be in your presence. Mm, that's good. And so this is what it is for me, I think. It's all too often now we want to highlight God's love and God's grace and God's yeah. kindness. But if that's all we talk about, it becomes really easy for God yeah. to become, like you said, yeah. a cosmic Santa Claus, a, a whatever imagery you want to make. So uh, I, I do think that there is a good, healthy, healthy dose of awe and fear that should determine how I live my life and yeah. what I'm willing to do. It feels like to me, and even you know, before we went to break, we talked about the prosperity gospel, and we were saying God provides our needs, but also let's not make that our idolatry. There seems to be a theology of paradox that we haven't mm. quite wrapped our minds around as Christians in the Western evangelical world, and this feels like part of it, like, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. God loves us. God is gentle. God, there's no, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paradoxically, we ought to, like you said, fear God and like, you know, be very wary of our own sin and that were it not for Jesus, God could destroy us. And so it's like there's a, again, this paradox where we need to embrace somehow the both andedness <laughs> in that reality yes. and step into the mystery, I suppose, of God's God's unbelievable, unstoppable love for us. But that love is not separate from his wrath and his power. In mm. fact, you know, that becomes very clear on the cross because of God's love for us. All of it, all of God's wrath, all of the evil in this world was taken on Jesus, on himself. And so I think maybe that's it. We can't separate God's love from God's power and wrath. Both of those things are wrapped up in one mm-hmm. another. And that's why we're saved. That's why we know God's gentle voice. That's why we know God's goodness and love 
because of the cross. But yeah. it, it is, it's, it's a paradox, but I think you're right, Brian. We have to get back. I don't know if it's getting back, if it's a refresh. I don't know what it is, but we do seem to not take God as seriously as mm. we ought to. I'm glad that there's grace for that. But even in, you know, there's so many books right now that are just like tearing the church apart or podcasts that you and I have covered that are tearing the church apart. And some of those are really good and they need to come to light because it's sin that's being exposed and that mm. needs to happen. But I do worry that sometimes some of these, this cottage industry you've even talked about before is becoming so divisive, divisive and so destructive that there's no fear of God in that. Yes. Yeah. And that goes back to like, okay, where's our reverence really? Do we forget how powerful God is and that we would be faced with him? We'd be like, I'm a sinner. I can't even be near yeah, you. Anyway. Was me. Yeah, yeah, Horton goes on to write, the fear of God is living with the grain of reality we did not make ourselves. So it is insane to live as though we could be whatever and whomever we choose. Wow. We do not belong to ourselves, but to God. It's this idea of who we are in relation to God. So- $64,000 question I'd like to ask you, how do we grow in awe? <laughs> we live in a very comfortable society. Yeah. We don't live for like, oh, if, if God doesn't, you know, at least that mm. this knowledge on day-to-day basis, if God doesn't step in, I'm, I'm in trouble. Yeah. We, we live for comfort. We live in comfort, mm. which work against this idea yeah. of awe. It's no wonder we have a comfortable view of God. Yeah. So one or two steps to growing even, even a little bit, the awe, the fear of the Lord in our lives. I guess this is, this goes back to reflecting on God's character through his word, like, and then pausing to even worship God for who he is, you know, like find find things in scripture about God as creator and God as, you know, mighty God as um, all powerful and stop to worship God for those things and just see if your heart doesn't change. I, I have that. We sang it on Easter Sunday last weekend. And so I've, I've got it in my mind, that song. I think it's called Great Defender mm. that says, you know, God, basically like God has the power to defend my heart and destroy my enemies. And all I did was worship. All I did was bow down. And I think there's something to that, like a posture of worship, a posture of awe, a posture of reverence, asking the Holy Spirit to like, make that new in us again. And then actually like spending the time before God in God's word to begin developing that, um, that it feels like that's what we need. Like it's a heart posture change. Right. And I think it's one, I mean, we circle back to this often. I think it's one of the reasons, uh, we gather weekly for church That's good. is to together, uh, through the preaching of the word, through sound, through song, through the sacraments, we gather together, uh, those are to grow our awe, our yeah. fear of the Lord. Yeah. They are to keep us centered yeah. uh, and keep us uh, keep us kind of focused on him. And so uh, an interesting biblical phrase that I think we need to wrestle with, we probably don't do well in our yeah. culture, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. How do we grow awe in our lives? Definitely something worth uh, thinking about. Brian, we're going to talk about something that I think a lot of people are tired of talking about, <laughs> but now everyone's talking about it. And so if we're, if they're talking about it, we're going to keep talking about it. That is the slap heard round the world. I feel like from now on, anyone says the slap, hashtag the slap. You know what they're talking about. That was Will Smith smacking 
Chris Rock at the Academy Awards uh, just a few weeks ago. And I think we're all still waiting. So a couple of things that my, my things, my thoughts about this. I think we're all still waiting. We really haven't heard from Chris Rock. We haven't heard We've from We've heard Chris from Rock. people close to him like, oh, he's not going to forgive him. Yeah. Like, oh, he's not. And that's his right for yeah. sure. Um, I think a lot has now come out about Will Smith after this. People mm-hmm. worried about just. This might have been the tip of the iceberg. This this might might have have been been symbolic of some stuff going on. Uh, But two, and this is a weird thing to say because of the conversation we're about to have. Mm -hmm. It's part of me that just wants to be like, hey, we don't need to talk about this. Can we just say that a guy snapped and and hit another guy Mm -hmm. and that now there's repercussions for it? Mm -hmm. It just happened to be two of the most famous people in the world and it happened on the Oscar stage. There does seem to be a little bit... um, uh, people just want to carve this up to be like, well, this is about our society. This is yeah. all because of this. They're, they yeah. were, this is all all about the pandemic. Like, yeah. Nope. One guy who's got a strange marriage went up and so there, was a weird, guy. there was a, oh, I don't know if you saw this, there was a video from like, that was, because now people are shooting videos sure, everywhere. Sure. Somebody was shooting a video from kind of maybe two or three rows behind where Will Smith oh, and Jada Pinkett Smith were uh, we're sitting, uh-huh. and the video picks up right as Will Smith is walking onto the stage. So the jokes already happened. Yeah. He stops. Or he comes off, and then you kind of see Chris Rock, but you can't really hear him. But you, now we've all seen this yeah. stuff. So he says, "Jada Pinkett is laughing through the whole thing." No, yes, it's a really Wild. odd. Even the part where like Will Smith is yelling, "Keep your wife's," name, you know that yes. she's like laughing. It's Weird. a really strange deal, Weird. and I, someday that might add some more context to all of this. Yeah, interesting. I think, you know what? We're going to make a top five list for me that's going to start with Meghan Markle and have Jada Pinkett Smith on I it. I don't I, know what the title what of this like is going this, to be. Though. Conversations always start blaming the woman and the wife, and I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but at the end of the day, Will Smith is still the one who got it there and smacked the guy. So I don't like, I don't like this. <laughs> I'm not saying she's not strange. She is. Like Their beliefs and their marriage are like, I don't approve. Of, I don't endorse that message. But at the end of the day, we just we blame the woman, and she was just sitting there being made fun of. So I don't know. I I don't like that. You don't like Megan Markle either, and she's my girl. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> we do. What's the top five list? Five women know. that Aubrey loves that Brian has problems <laughs> with. <laughs> going to get myself in trouble. Okay, so Brian, you know, Christians, we jump on everything, right? And this is obviously good clickbait, but this was actually a good article, yeah, not just clickbait, over at churchleaders.com. Brian Dodd wrote, five leadership lessons from Will Smith's slap heard around the world. And I actually want to read you you know, a lot of people have talked about this quote, but I don't think we've talked about it on the air before, before we even get into the article. Denzel Washington said something to Will Smith that I, you know, Denzel Washington is one of those guys that just feels like eternally cool, you know, and he really does. And he he said this, or at least this article says that he said this. Denzel Washington, noted Christian and acting legend, told Smith, at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. And then uh, somebody else tweeted, I refuse to behave like Will Smith. I refuse to behave like Chris Rock. I prefer to behave like Denzel Washington. In a very uncomfortable and heated moment, he gave wisdom, understanding, correction, and comfort. I thought that was a kind of a brilliant insight mm-hmm. that the, at the yeah. height. And this was the height for him, right? Like he won the Academy Award for Best Actor that night. That's when the enemy is going to come for you. And it seems like that's what happened. Okay. I, I like that quote and I don't like that quote. Tell me what you like and what you don't like. Well, about it. it's a reminder 
uh, of when we're most prone to temptation, mm. when we're and we believe in spiritual warfare, right? Like there is, yeah. it's a reminder of we do believe in a in a um, in an enemy who is tempting and who is doing things. Yeah. At the same time, uh, it's a slippery slope to allow people out of always just saying the quote unquote the devil made me That's do it. That's a good point, Brian. That's like, good. That felt like what Will Smith was doing when uh, he got up there and he was just like, "Oh, Denzel Washington told me we'll be careful in the devil." Like. It, it yeah. it's, you're still the one who hit him. Yeah, that makes you're total still sense. The one. And so I have a love-hate relationship with that quote, yeah. but I get it. I get it. Yeah. Because you do think about when are you most open to temptation? It is when you're kind of feeling yourself, right? When you're like, oh, yeah. I'm doing great. I'm, yeah. I'm on top of the world. I'm yeah. the, that's when kind of you're most susceptible. Yeah, but you're, t- I mean, you're totally right. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, that that was sort of used as an excuse mm-hmm. then for Will Smith to be like, so that's why. It's just because the devil was made me do it, and we can't, we, that's not a valid excuse. That's right. Yeah, okay. So uh, with that in mind, this article at churchleaders.com, five leadership lessons. Here's what they say, Brian. Some of these I agree with and some I don't, so I'm very <laughs> curious what you think. Let me read them to you, okay. all five, and then we'll have a response, okay? Um, one we live in a lawless land. This person says Will Smith should have been arrested, period. Assault is generally defined as intentionally putting another person in reasonable apprehension of an imminent, harmful, or offensive contact. Physical injury is not required. And basically what they say is that this, uh, what this article says, he should have been arrested because he wasn't. This uh, incident is polluted with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Two, never get fun at someone else's expense. Um, and so he says he's confused at what uh, Will Smith was expecting in this moment. And um, basically that uh, uh, rock should not have roasted his wife. OK, mm-hmm. um, three angry people are foolish people. That one rings very true mm-hmm. to me. Um, and then uh, number four, anger makes the other person the victim And then he talks about something called the power of the statesman, Brian, where he says one of the problems in our world today is the lack of statesmen, dignified individuals who are respected and have moral authority. Um, He talks about how statesmen are people when they speak, everyone listens. And unfortunately, we currently lack these individuals in the political arena, but of course, in Hollywood as well. And then this uh, person kind of raises Denzel Washington up as like a statesman for our time. Okay, so any of those stand out to you? Um. Yeah, I don't think he should have been arrested. Can you imagine if they had arrested him? I mean, no. that would have been no. that would have been all we talked about for decades. Like, yeah. I, I I can't imagine them having arrested him. I get it. We live in a I, there's a lot bigger reasons that I would go. We live with lawlessness and right. darkness than right. Chris Rock getting hit by him. And also, I do want to teach my kids: don't make fun of people, don't have fun at other people's expenses. But why else are you having Chris Rock up there? Yeah, exactly. Like he's a comedian. At, we've all watched award shows like comedians are that what they do at these award shows is make fun of the stars. And that's been true throughout Oscar history, right. at least in the at least in the like memorable history. So that's been true. I, I'm OK with that. I would say the greatest thing we can learn from this as Christian leaders and just Christians in general is anger is a dangerous thing. Yeah. The Bible says over yeah. and over again, anger is dangerous. We must get our anger under control. Yeah. Something's bubbling in Will Smith on that night and maybe more than just mm-hmm. that night that he didn't go there going, I'm going to punch. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to slap right. uh, Chris rock. Right. There was an anger that came over uh, him and we have to probably 
take a good lesson to get our anger issues under control. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of the that's kind of the biggest lesson learned for leaders. So, Brian, with like 30 seconds, if you were going to, you know, somebody's listening right now and they have a major anger problem. What's the first step for them? Yeah, I would say uh, that's something that that we seem to be praying about. I I would be Mm -hmm. prayerful about it. Um, I would uh, find a trusted person and it might be a counselor, like depending on the level of your anger and how deep it runs. But it might be a good friend. Start talking about what's making you angry. What is it that is driving your anger to the point that you just are losing um, your sanity, right? Like the, the point that you want to do things that normal people wouldn't actually do. So it might require counseling to really unpack this. It might require just a good friend. Hey, can I talk to you about this? Uh, and and that I think once we start talking about our issues, they kind of lose that control mm. over us and it kind of pops the balloon as long as they stay in us. Then we're just kind of that pressure is going to pop. And for Will Smith, that popped, unfortunately, on the stage of the Oscars. Yeah, unfortunately, that's true. It's Friday. So Brian and I get to do one of our favorite things of all time. Top five lists. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. Today we are doing okay. And uh, this is an, uh, Brian's birthday is coming up on May fourth. It is May the fourth. Be with you. Our our producer's birthday was just last just weekend. Just had a birthday. You're probably still celebrating yes. yours. Yes, actually, just got myself new tennis shoes, and I said it was for my birthday. Sure. And then uh, Brian's daughter's graduating in just a few weeks. You got right? the invite to the uh, to I the uh, graduation I party. Did. So, like, the passage of time is what we're. We're thinking about today for our top five list. We are doing top five songs about the passage of time. And this was your idea. And, mm-hmm. and like, let's add some. They are literally songs about the passage yes. of time. So when I first asked you, I'm like, are you looking for songs that make me nostalgic? Mm-hmm. And they're like, have it. No, we are right. going for passage of time songs. Yes. And I, that's good. I've got I've got my yeah, list. So this isn't like the song Brian remembers playing for his daughter when she was three and they were dancing together. This is like about the passage Way to of remember time. the story. Oh, Do you remember the song? I, uh, butterfly kisses. Ooh, no, close. Ah, uh, daddy, my da- uh, daddy. Steven Curtis, Curtis Chapman, Daddy's, Cinderella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah I yeah. was close. I was close. Butterfly kisses. Good call right there. That was not a bad one. Thank though. you. Thank okay. you. Okay, I tried. Okay, Brian, are you ready? I'm ready. I'll Number go first. five. All right. Number five, old school song, very old. Otis Redding. I'm going with <gasps> "Sitting on the Dock of the Bay." Love that song, Brian. Yes, I, you yes. know, I, I actually I had that on my list and then I took it off. But that is a that is a good song right there. I like that song. Na, 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 oh, Keep yeah. going, man. You just like you keep going. Just listen to that song and sing it. <laughs> All right, I'm going a little old school too. Not as old school. And this song is a little weird, but man, you play it and you're like, oh, this song's so good. Time by Pink Floyd. Okay. <laughs> Make up the dull day. I feel like Pink Floyd is a little bit of a like a blind spot in my music repertoire. Like I don't that whole kind of that time right there. Mm -hmm. What's Pink Floyd? More seventies kind of. I don't have that. It's it's a little bit of a blind spot for me. Yeah, I I was. I don't know if I should confess this on air, but I was one of those kids who would listen to Pink Floyd's "Dark Side of the Moon" and watch "Wizard of Oz" at the same time. I don't know if you missed that in your your friendship. I was doing Bible studies. Yeah, you were better. You were a better high schooler than me. (laughs) But uh, I I like. 
like Dark Side of the Moon at least. That's I think it's a good album. With Wizard of Oz, what's but what's the theory? Yeah, the theory is that Pink Floyd wrote the album to connect, like almost like a soundtrack to Did Wizard it seem of Oz. To fit? Yes. So if you you, <laughs> so embarrassed that I know this. You hit play. I mean, this used to be CDs, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So you hit play that when the third lion roar, like the third roar of the MGM lion, the beginning of the movie, hit play. And the album starts at the same time the movie starts. And it goes up until like Dorothy gets to Munchkin Land. A little bit beyond that, it fits. It stops at that point because the album's not long enough. But it is pretty wild how okay. fun it is. Yeah, there you go. yeah, we've made our kids do it. It's pretty fun. Number four for me, I don't even know who sang this. I just know it's straight off the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. By the way, Dirty Dancing was on the other day as I was going <gasps> it around. Was? Yeah. You should have called me. Yep. It is, uh, I've had the time of my life. Yeah, good one. Solid, solid choice. Yes. Yeah. Because I had the the time time of my my life. life. I feel like Dirty Dancing comes up on the show more than it probably should. As it should. As it should. (laughs) All right. uh, My number four is a a timeless song, Yesterday by the Beatles. Mm. Such a beautiful song. Love that one. No Beatles came onto mine. Okay. That's all right. I'm better than you. That's okay. Number three, Rod Stewart. Forever Young. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's a good one. Of course it is. It's Rod. I think Rod is actually covering Bob Dylan in that. I, I want the Rod Stewart okay, okay, version okay. of Forever Young. Is, that's a good song. As you want to others as you. Yes. Yeah. Solid choice, Brian. Right, good. I'm winning. All right. Good. I'm going with a Bob Dylan song. Times they are a changing. Mm, yes, yes, yes. People would be surprised. I think you were quite the Bob Bob Dylan I fan. I love Bob Dylan. My dad loved Bob Dylan, so it's kind of our family. Okay. Kind of our family thing. You would have expected me to put this at number one, but I decided not to. Oh, let's hear it. Number two is Cats in the Cradle. Yeah, I thought that would be in your list, and I, I'm i a little surprised it's not number one, but that's a great passage of time song. I wanted it to, I've got I've got one that stuck out more to me for number okay. one, but Cats in the Cradle, especially if you have yeah. children, uh, <laughs> or if you have a strained relationship with your parents. <laughs> Or whatever so else it might be, you're like, oh, I'm going to cry. Like, my kids are getting old enough now yeah. where, where you're like, oh, I wish I spent more time with you as a kid. <laughs> oh, it's so sad, Brian. It's so sad. When you come to the graduation party, you're just going to hear Cats in the Cradle in the background. instead of it playing time. everywhere. On repeat. Oh, that's going to be so depressing. All right. Uh, my number two is the song Clocks by Coldplay. Love that song. I do like Coldplay. Yeah. I was having this discussion with someone the other day, like... Oh, it was with my brother-in-law because did you see the new, there was that uh, quote, you and I had it on our show from the uh, Hillsong documentary that said they were trying to mimic Coldplay Coldplay, with their, and he was telling me that story and I just said, I like Coldplay. Yeah, I like Coldplay too. I think Coldplay is great. I love that song, Clocks. Okay, do you have honorable mentions? I have a couple of them. So do I. One of them I put in just because I had to, Cinderella, because we discussed that song. Oh, nice, nice, Brian. Uh, I went with Unchained Melody. (gasps) That's a good song. I forgot about that. Yep. Uh, shares, if I could turn back time. If I could turn back time. <laughs> yep. I don't know that that just sounded like Cher. <laughs> no, did you do that again? No, no, no. That sounded exactly like Cher, and we won't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. Uh, and the last one I put up there was Cindy Lauper, Time After You're Time. You're going to find that one here pretty soon oh, on my list. Okay. I any, love that song. Do you yes. have any honorable mentions? Yes. I have April Come She Will by Simon and Garfunkel. Beautiful song. And I also have Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. Okay. Otis Redding Jr. Good song. Okay, uh, since I spoiled it, I'll just go ahead and say my number one is Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. Oh. I love that song. I didn't realize for years that that was Cindy Lauper. Oh, really? I really do like that song, though. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yep. Uh, number one, I went more recent. We're talking still 
15, 20 years okay. probably. Uh, no, more than that because this song gained great, uh, great uh, acclaim because it was used on the final Seinfeld episode when oh. they did like their their memory, like going through the years. Yeah. Uh, it's Green Day's Good Riddance. Uh, oh. You know, there's something unpredictable, but in, in the end, end it's right. right. Oh, is that what that song is called? Good Riddance? Uh, people know it as I Hope You Had the Time of, of your, your Life. Oh, yeah, that's a good song. Seinfeld and Green Day. They used that song in the background of the second to last Seinfeld. I'm a Seinfeld aficionado. Yeah. The second to last Seinfeld, they ended with like a retrospective of like all these different oh, clips from out. Nice. And it was done with that Green Day song playing. And come that on. Green Day song had just come out. And that Green Day song then exploded. And Green Day was big then, yeah, so it probably still yeah. would have exploded. But everybody was watching the final Seinfeld. Okay, this feels like a weird time warp to me because Seinfeld existing at the same time as Green Day. 1998. I, wow. Yes, 1998. Okay, yes. wow. All right, so that is your number, number one, one Passage of Time song. That's a good song. All right, well, if we missed any, if there's any uh, Passage of Time songs that Brian and I forgot about, let us know on our social media at Common Good Talk. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. It is the end of the show, and it is the end of the week. End of the, who can believe it? Who can believe Friday has already come? It is crazy how quickly this week has gone. And uh, because of that, that means it is time for us to search the, the wild west of the internet and bring to you the craziest stories we can possibly find. Our executive producer, Keith Conrad, brings us these stories and uh, the first time we're sharing them with you is the very first time that Brian and I have ever laid eyes on them. So our reaction is a real-time reaction. Brian, I'm going to start with the first article. You're going first. Okay, okay I'm ready. This is from, oh, from Italy. Hello. From Italy. Italy. Okay. A bear relocated after bakery break-in walks 100 miles home. I'm going to read that again. Bear relocated after a bakery break-in walks 100 miles home. For, this sounds like a kid's book. For a young brown bear in Italy, the call of the trash turned out to be a lot stronger than the call of the wild. The bear, named Juan Carrito, by <laughs> residents of a ski town in the Abruzzo region, has returned to the town after a failed effort to rewild him, the Guardian reports. Juan Carrito who was known for rummaging through trash and drinking from fountains in Rocos, Roca Rosso and who devoured biscuits after breaking into a bakery in November, was captured in early March and spent time in an enclosure designed to mimic natural conditions before he was released in a remote mountain area. Things initially went well after the bear was released, but then after three weeks of living off of what he could find in the park, including grass, ants, and tubers, the two-year-old bear departed for his home almost 100 miles away, bypassing other towns on his way to Roca Rosso. The bear climbed valleys and peaks, passed through inaccessible areas, moving for over 150 kilometers until he returned. Oh, that's nice. It's really precious. Okay. The bear made his way home. I love it. And then they sent them away again. Yeah, poor guy. Hey, boo-boo, let's see what we got in this picnic basket. Next one's out of North Carolina. North Carolina woman craves pie, wins $100,000 from scratch-off ticket. Uh, Deanna, Diana Shabrier of North Carolina was craving pie and went on a dessert run at night that resulted in her winning a hundred grand. Come on. Shabrier stopped at the food line in Franklinton and bought a, and bought a $30 
200x the cast scratch-off lottery ticket after the grocery store was sold out of the pie. They didn't even have the pie. Come on. They didn't have my pie, so I got my ticket instead. I can't say the name of the pie or it will sell out, she <laughs> said. Uh, Shabriar played the ticket the next morning with her husband and daughter. She realized she had won $100,000 after taking a photo of the ticket and zooming in. No way. She said she'll use the winnings to pay bills and finally obtain the pie. I'm just so <laughs> grateful. This will really take the weight off my husband's shoulders. Recently, an unidentified woman from South Carolina stopped by a convenience store to buy candy, purchased a scratch-off ticket, and earned $375,000 no ticket. No way. Crazy. So I never buy scratch-off tickets, but now I'm kind of regretting that decision. They do feel like a colossal waste of money, but I suppose if you were I mean, to win, then you'd win feel that differently. You're going to win $375,000. I'm very curious why she wouldn't say the name of the pie. She doesn't want people to all go buy it. She wants it for herself. That's not very nice. You've got $100,000. You can share that pie, lady. Girlfriend's going to get paid. All right, out of Georgia, a man sentenced for stealing 63 golf carts in seven states after caught. Tried again in Georgia. A Florida man linked to dozens of motorized golf cart thefts in the upper Midwest was sentenced Tuesday to two years in federal prison. The FBI began investing Nathan Rodney Nelson in July 2019 after the Cass County Sheriff's Office in Fargo, North Dakota, asked for help in solving a series of golf cart thefts starting in 2017 in the Dakotas, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Nelson A former Minnesota resident living in Apollo Beach, Florida, was eventually arrested in June 2020 while he was caught trying to steal golf carts from a dealer in Donaldson, Georgia, who was also carrying pre-printed serial number labels and burglary tools, according to court documents. Investigators say he stole at least 63 golf carts in seven states worth at least $283,000. He would typically typically steal carts in pairs from rural Midwestern golf courses, usually late at, late at night, and then he would sell these carts under the alias Mason Weber. I feel like there is a movie to be made or a show to be <laughs> made about cart. this guy. That's incredible. Hey, Lama! All right, next one, Nevada. Nevada Walgreens using classical music to deter loitering. Huh. A Walgreens in Reno, Nevada, was found a unique way to keep people from panhandling and loitering outside the store. Classical music. A spokesperson for Walgreens said they are using the tactic across various locations. We've implemented a recorded music loop that plays outside of the store to help deter loitering on the premises. The statement continued, We take steps to ensure the music is only loud enough for immediate area around the store and cannot be heard by residents in the surrounding neighborhoods. Uh, some of the tunes include Takato. I'm not going to get these right. Yep. They're all old ones. Let's yep. put it that way. Customers at the Walgreens say they like the music and it makes them feel a bit safer while shopping. It's not really a nice area, so I don't bring my daughter here, David Rabinowitz said. We've had a couple instances of homeless people or weird people going inside and throwing products around. Well, that's not nice. Debbie Cheek comes to the ph- what a great name. A Debbie great Cheek name. comes to the pharmacy often to pick up her prescriptions. She said even with the music, she still notices a lot of people loitering. I've seen them quite a bit even with the music, but they're not here now, so maybe it's working. Brian, can I ask you a follow-up question in this article? <laughs> yes. How does playing classical music prevent loitering? Because people don't like the music. So they think they're going to get annoyed with the music. They're not going to hang around the store. Correct. Hang around the outside of the store. What I think they should do if they're really going for it is just play like just somebody being like, ew. 
That's what I was thinking. If you're gonna do like what's go that called? Like, with it. like auditory warfare, then you gotta go, yeah, you gotta get so, real. But the problem here is they're also trying not to drive away customers. So they're yeah, I suppose you know, if I was a customer, true. maybe I could handle some uh, some of the uh, classical music, but yeah. if I was loitering and staying there for hours, maybe it would get on my nerves, I suppose, is the thought process. I, I like classical music. I think it might make you me would. stay. I, that's what I listen to at, from Alexa when no, I'm you at don't. home. You I, listen to 40s whatever swing music. In my music. car, I do, but at home, I listen to classical music while I'm cooking. So I think I'm going to go to that Walgreens and loiter. They've just invited me in. What I wouldn't give to hear Lisa play another one of her jazzy tunes. Text him a phone. Text him a phone. Okay, here's the last story out of France. A wo- oh, no. This one's pretty bad. A woman impersonates a doctor for three years without undergoing any medical training. Classic France. Wow. A 31-year-old woman was recently sentenced to only two years in prison. I feel like this deserves more prison time. For impersonating a physician and then an ophthalmologist for years without any medical training. It all started in 2018 when Sonia, a 31-year-old woman from Meaux in northern France, decided to try her luck as a physician without undergoing any medical training. Wow. Sonia had a bachelor's degree in real estate management, but she didn't let that get in the way of attaining a lucrative job as a general physician. Oh, she even got hired. The woman forged, I was thinking she just pretended online or something. The woman forged a bunch of diplomas from the faculty of Strasbourg and a false certificate on the board of the Order of Physicians not only got the job, but saw patients for three years before anyone noticed she had no (laughs) business being a doctor. The woman not only, this is like peak millennial, like they can do whatever they want, right? The woman not only practiced medicine for almost three years until being exposed in October of 2021, but she then moved on to the next best professional career, this time becoming an ophthalmologist. To make matters worse, for most of her time as a physician, Sonia wore a tagging bracelet around her ankle for crimes previous to her appointment as a GP. France Live reports that the 31-year-old woman had been convicted of a breach of trust in 2019, but companies didn't check her credentials. So she had no problem posing as a medical professional. She was able to earn nearly 70,000 euros from her fake career. Where'd you go? During, listen to this, during the three and a half years that she worked as a doctor, Sonia performed around 20 vaccinations against COVID-19 and prescribed various medications Describe, uh, despite not knowing what she was prescribing. Doctor? 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 And doctor. Well, we miss anyone? Wow, you can do anything if you set your mind to no, it. No, you can do anything in France. That's This is a France <laughs> issue right that's now. That's a France problem. Yes. Wow. Well, uh, that's I don't even know what to do with that story. That is a wild one. But that's uh, why we do these stories on Friday. That is some news from the wild, wacky world of the Internet. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.